Nova Markets, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, October 18. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson here to take our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to the wheat fields to the feedlots across the United States as well as the international story, too. But we begin with a look at how we ended the week on this Friday. Wall Street down. Negative headlines about Johnson & Johnson and Boeing and some bleak economic data from China. Soured investor risk appetite, and that offset generally positive corporate earnings. While the three major U.S. stock averages were in negative territory, they were all on track to end the week higher. And Boeing Company and Johnson Shares led the blue-chip Dow's decline. Boeing dropped 4.8% after Reuters reported that text messages between two employees suggested the plane maker misled the Federal Aviation Administration about the safety of the grounded 737 MAX aircraft. Johnson & Johnson announced it would recall baby powder in the United States after regulators found trace amounts of asbestos in a sample. That sent its shares down 5.5%. And growth of China's gross domestic product slowed to its weakest pace in nearly 30 years as the bruising trade war with the United States took its toll. And again, that news stoked fears of slowdown around the planet. The International Monetary Fund has lowered its forecast for global growth this year to 3%, which would mark the slowest expansion since the financial crisis. One analyst said earnings have been coming in better than expected, but it doesn't mesh with economic data that have been coming out recently and the global growth forecast. Third quarter earnings season has hit full stride, 73 companies of the S&P 500 have reported, and of those, 83.6% have come in above average estimates. Still, analysts currently see S&P 500 earnings dropping by 3.1% compared with last year. Schlumberger gained 1.2%. After the oil field services company posted its largest quarterly loss ever as a result of a $12 billion charge, American Express Company reported better than expected third quarter profit as consumers boosted their spending, but still the credit card issuers' issuers' shares dipped 1%. Coca-Cola. Its revenue topped Wall Street estimates as consumers took to zero-sugar sodas and smaller soft drink cans in the marketplace. So uh, a lot of activity on the earnings report this week in the oil market. There we saw prices edging lower today as, again, concerns about China's economy outweighed bullish signals from its refining sector. Benchmark crude oil fell 49 cents for the day, settling the day and the week at $59.42 a barrel. 
and U.S. crude down 15 cents for the day to settle at $53.78 a barrel. For the week, Brent fell 1.8%, while the U.S. crude lost 1.7% for the week. So that's looking back. Let's now look ahead as the earnings report season gets into full gear in the upcoming week. And here's what we'll be watching for. Amazon.com expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue on Thursday as the world's biggest online retailer benefits from soaring demand for its cloud and a surge in online shopping. And, of course, investors will keep an eye on the forecast for the holiday quarter coming from Amazon. Facebook Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg scheduled to testify before the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday as the social media company faces growing scrutiny from U.S. lawmakers over its planned cryptocurrency and other issues, including advertising policies. More on the technology front, Microsoft likely will report a higher first quarter profit on Wednesday, driven by increased sales from Azure, its flagship cloud product. Boeing Company on Wednesday expected to report lower profit and revenue for the third quarter, as its best-selling 737 MAX jets remain grounded, and investors will await comments on the timing of the jet's return to service Lockheed Martin Corporation expected to post increased revenue and profit for the third quarter on Tuesday. Visa expected to report an increase in fourth quarter profit on Thursday. PayPal Holdings likely to post a third quarter profit that's higher as more customers use its payment processing platform to transact and investors will look for commentary on the company's China entry with the acquisition of GoPay. Tesla, oh, there's a name that's been challenged in the auto industry. It's scheduled to report its third quarter results on Wednesday after the market closes, and analysts are expecting another loss. Although the company had earlier forecast a break-even performance, the focus will be on the company's strategy to turn a profit in the fourth quarter. Separately, on the same day, Ford Motor Company scheduled to report third quarter results, expected to be heard by the number two U.S. automaker's ongoing restructuring and a slowdown in the world's largest auto market, China. Harley-Davidson expected to report its third quarter earnings before the bell on Tuesday, and while the motorcycle maker is expected to report a lower quarterly profit, Investors' focus will be on its efforts to revive U.S. sales as well as the early orders for its first electric bike. Then we take a look at uh, some of the government reports that will be coming out. Commerce Department report on Thursday likely to show sales of durable goods fell seven-tenths of a percent in September after a two-tenths percent gain a month ago, and then another report on Friday will probably show new home sales down half a percent to an annual rate of 700,000 units in September, 
And separately on Tuesday, existing home sales report likely to show a decline of seven-tenths of a percent to an annual rate of 5,450,000 units. Back to earnings reports. Comcast Corporation expected to report a higher profit and addition of more Internet subscribers in the third quarter. Procter & Gamble expected to post first quarter earnings on Tuesday. The results likely to reflect strongest sales growth in at least three years, boosted by its demand for its premium beauty products. (coughs) Intel Corporation expected to report a decline in its third quarter revenue on Thursday as the chip industry faces setbacks from the global slowdown and the ongoing trade war with China. American Airlines Group expected to report an increase in third quarter revenue and profit on Thursday as the number one U.S. airline benefits from strong travel demand and higher fares. Investors will look for updates on the company's financial forecast. And on the same day, Southwest Airlines expected to report an increase in third quarter revenue. McDonald's expected to post an increase in profit and comparable store sales in the third quarter on Tuesday as the company's low price value meals drew in more customers. 3M Company, expected to post lower revenue and profit for third quarter on Thursday as some of its fast-growing markets, including China, see a slowdown in economic growth. And Hershey Company, likely to report an increase in third quarter's sales on Thursday thanks to price hikes and higher demand in North America. Chipotle Mexican Grill expected to report an increase in third quarter profit and revenue on Tuesday as the Mexican fast casual chain benefits from limited time menu additions and the loyalty and delivery program. And United Parcel Service is expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue and profit on Tuesday. The package delivery company benefiting from strong e-commerce demand. Eli Lilly and company likely to report a drop in third quarter earnings on Wednesday. Investors will focus on commentary related to the update of its migraine treatment. Caterpillar is expected to report lower third quarter profit on Wednesday as its customers turn concerned uh, at making large capital expenditures amid slowing economic growth. And then the Pulte Group, home builder, is expected to post a fall in third quarter revenue and profit on Tuesday as the U.S. home builder is hit by declining home sales despite the lower interest rates. Well, is that enough? There's a lot more in the earnings report activity next week, but that's all that we'll talk about for now. And we're getting ready to talk agricultural trade and what's happening in the marketplace there. As we did get phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement, at least down, not thoroughly, but expected to be ratified and signed in November. So, Max Armstrong standing by with his guest, uh, 
and we'll join them when we continue here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. In the studio with us this weekend, Mike Pearson from Zayner Financial Services in Chicago. Great to be back, Max. Always <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you. Fun to have you at the microphone. I know you're out there visiting with growers a lot, talking to them all the time, exchanging messages in social media. This harvest has advanced some in the past week. There are some pockets where rather substantial progress has been made. I always caution, though, sometimes I think we overstate the case simply by watching all the tweets from the cab and uh, forgetting some of those places where the combines have remained parked. What's your overall assessment? As we began the week, we were about a fourth done on the nationwide harvest of corn and beans. How much advance has there been in your mind? You know, my guess when we get on Monday's crop progress report, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another 10% complete. Uh, that push us a little bit closer to the five-year average. We're still going to be way behind, about 20 points on both, but we're going to be making some progress. As you mentioned, we're seeing parts of central Illinois, parts of, uh, of eastern and central Iowa we're making good progress. I know some Missouri farmers were able to get out there and get some running done, but... Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, parts of Ohio, Indiana. I mean, there are a lot of places where combines have either not started to roll at all or rolled into a giant mud pile and had to be pulled back out. So it is frustrating for a lot of growers. I think we're going to see continued deviation in harvest progress across the Midwest between those that can get started and are are really making good progress. And reports I've heard from the field are that that early planted corn especially, is coming in pretty well. Um, I haven't heard anybody saying record yields, but I've heard a lot of guys tell me that April, early May planted stuff, if they were able to get it in, it's in their top five. But of course, there's a lot of growers in those same neighborhoods who weren't able to get in those windows. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be looking at June planted stuff that um, remains to be seen, Max. There's going to be a lot of variability this year, both in terms of harvest quality, and in terms of grain production across the Midwest. And we're going to see a lot of really frustrated people as October turns to November and the snow starts to fly. Again, for some, it yes. starts to fly again. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. God, you look at that blizzard up there in North and South Dakota. I, that was unbelievable. I talked to a few meteorolo- meteorologist friends and a storm of that severity and duration in October is is almost unprecedented. We think back to that one in South Dakota, you know, around the Faith area two or three years ago, that terrible blizzard that uh, claimed the lives of a lot of livestock. You know, that was about the only other similar event of, of both severity and duration. So, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave things slowed up for quite a while and raise flooding concerns on the Missouri as that stuff starts to melt. On the Missouri and uh, the red going north, as yes, a matter of fact. absolutely. That's like a tabletop up there, of course. It's just as flat as it can be. And... They will have some struggles up there. I want to come back to yield reports. I've talked with several growers in East Central Illinois, for example, in the recent days. And for them, it's a tough comparison with a year ago. They had some tremendous yields. And for almost all of those growers I've talked to in that Central Illinois region, Central Indiana, they won't be near what they had 
in the fall of 2018. That's true. And I think that is true a lot across a lot of parts of Iowa as well. Um, last year for a lot of growers was a great year. And we needed a great year last year price-wise. I, I talked to a lot of bankers over the winter as we were getting through renewal season for this crop season, uh, you know, renewal season last January. And they said a lot of growers were able to bushel their way out of trouble. They were able to produce enough, even at lower prices, that they were able to cover their debts and and make do to get through. So here we've got another year where prices are struggling. We're making some gains, both in corn and soybeans. But for a lot of growers, we are at or below cost of production, and we really need all those bushels. And this is a year they might not be there. Uh, refinancing come December, January, February, for a lot of growers, it, it hurts to say, might be a struggle. It might be indeed. Corn yield. <laughs> USDA. Raised, not a lot, but they raised the corn yield in the last report. This frustration that farmers feel with USDA reports just continues to build, it seems. That yeah. corn yield is going to come down eventually, is it not? It, it is. You know, and I think I just saw USDA is going to be resurveying growers in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, uh, looking for impacts of the blizzard. We are going to see that yield come down. Um, at Zaner, we don't think it's going to drop a whole lot more. We think they're probably going to take more acres out of harvested uh, corn than they're going to drop out of yield. So, you know, that's the balance. They'll drop harvested acres, which then raises the overall quality of the acres that will be harvested. Or USDA could keep acres that are going to be zeroed out in the acreage mix and drop the yield number. We think just based on USDA's past history, they're going to end up cutting out some more acres in harvested for grain and Keeping the yield, it's going to come down some. You know, we're looking at that, uh, you know. What, 165 maybe? 166, 166 half is where we're sitting right now looking at a January number for USDA. But it's going to take them a while to get there. And the frustration you talk about that farmers are feeling towards the USDA and these projections they've had, you know, they've they've caught us with our pants down in August. Uh, they, they caught a lot of folks sideways with this last one, raising the yield on the October WASDE report. The frustration is very real. We need a break in agriculture. We need a break in these commodity markets. We're not getting it with this phase one of the China deal that, you know, the wind didn't really follow through on that thing. We didn't get it with the USDA reports. It's, it is frustrating. Why does the market get so excited uh, continually about any China news? I mean, I, I'm galvanized now, I think, uh, and was prior to this thing just a few days ago, this phase one. Because the devil is in the details, and I think the details are way out there yet. Way out there. I'm 100% with you, Max. I think we are going to see some some small things get written down, and I think agriculture might be a part of that. I think China probably will commit to further ag purchases because they need it. You know, China stepped into our market to buy soybeans because they're cheap. And they need them. They've drawn down their stockpiles over the past year, you know, making it a point to stick it to President Trump and buy from Brazil. But now as they look ahead in a year where the U.S. yields might not be so great, we've still got dryness in Brazil. I think they're getting nervous. So I think for China, it's a no-lose to step in and say, yeah, look, we'll buy another 10 million metric ton of soybeans as an olive branch to the Americans. I'm sure that's how they'll sell it. President Trump will paint it as a win for farmers. So politically, it makes a lot of sense. The question is, what are we going to get in return? Is it just a delay of further tariffs? Is China really going to ask for something more serious? Are they going to want tariff rollbacks? And I have a really hard time believing that we are going to get a, a big picture deal done before the 2020 elections. And if President Trump uh, wins in 2020, I don't think we're going to get a big deal done before 2024. 
I think there's just a lot of political hay to be made in fighting with China. This thing is going to be a long-running battle. And like you say, why do we keep getting excited? We are Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Every time we get one of these reports, oh, we get all bulled up. But Boy, it's not just the commodity markets. The equity markets Absolutely. are there, too. And that's probably part of the problem as far as commodities are concerned. Absolutely. We saw that uh, before the last Friday meeting, uh, the Friday, two Fridays ago, when, when China was in, uh, the Chinese delegation was in D.C., they had that meeting, and boy, we saw equities up 450, 470 points on the day. And then President Trump came out, met with uh, Lou He. They they walked out, they chatted a little bit. Yeah, it's phase one, and the market, you know, sold off. We were off another on the equity side on the Dow. I think we were off yeah, 130 points by the end of the day we from the highs. We haven't even talked about EPA policy on uh, on ethanol, but that's that's a whole other subject. We wouldn't have time for it. But coming back. To the farmers' financial concerns mm-hmm. as we get into the early days of 2020. Uh, in anticipation of that, are you having some discussions with growers already about marketing and you know making sure that they are as best positioned as they possibly can be? What kind of advice are you giving them? Mark? Well, it's a struggle this year. It's a struggle because we had such a phenomenal rally earlier in the season, and growers were so hesitant to take advantage of it, given the fact that we didn't know what was growing in the field. You know, looking ahead to where we stand today in the markets, we've seen. No November soybean prices get close to that summer high. We poked our heads north of 940. Couldn't hold. But, you know, that's that's not a terrible opportunity for growers to really consider putting pencil to paper. Likewise on corn, that $4 mark psychologically has been a barrier in this December contract. Same story. We poked our head above it. Couldn't hold. Ideally, as we get farther into the harvest season, we start to get a better picture on yields and more specifically the acreage that we've lost up north and in the south to flooding. Um, we're going to see USDA drop yields. I think there's more bullish news to come, but I don't think growers need to get too carried away in getting too bullish. This is a year to really look at putting a a strategy in place, working with a, with a broker you trust who can make solid recommendations and, and tailor it to your financial needs. Because we have a lot of variability, both in production, both in marketing and in costs this year. And every farm is going to be different. I'm, I'm very hesitant to make any sort of a blanket recommendation. But I do think the rally that we've seen over the past few weeks is one that growers need to take a good hard look at as they're planning for their future. What's the next significant USDA report you're eyeing at the moment? Obviously, harvest progress coming up here. Before we leave that subject. Yes, sir. The condition rating of these crops, does that matter anymore? I mean, last week we saw absolutely no change in the condition rating of corn and soybeans. And some of us who had watched this mess in the Dakotas. And uh, right. the lack of progress in Nebraska and heavy rains and, and snows wondered about that. Is is it just not going to reflect it in the condition rating? And does that even matter? Anymore? You know, it was really interesting. I sent a, a Twitter message to a friend of mine at the USDA, and I wanted to get their update. How do they figure? Because I know in the spring, early summer, they do drive arounds. They drive around, they look at crops, they rate them on a scale, and that's how they come up with their condition ratings. This time of year, are they still doing drive arounds? And if they're doing drive arounds, and you're in an area of North Dakota that has has uh, 20 inch tall beans covered with 27 inches of snow. How are you still rating those? You can't see those soybeans. You can't tell me that condition of the crop is still the same. So I, I think they're definitely taking a back seat when the trade is is trying to make decisions about this growing season. And the focus is a lot more on harvest percentage especially this year, given that we're so far behind. And I think as we roll through this harvest season, that's going to continue to be the main area of focus is where are we at with progress and where are we at in maturity. On uh, on Monday, last Monday, you know, North Dakota corn was 22% mature. 
Then it all froze. That corn's not getting any older. Field losses generally are not significant, but what about this fall? This this year could be very different. You know, I've heard from a lot of growers we were dealing with uh, wind events throughout the year that put a lot of stress on crops. We had green stress or green snap rather across much of the northern plains. That's the same area that saw fifty mile an hour winds this last week. That's the same area that has had uh, a tremendous trouble with stock quality and roots and standability in general. And now you're dumping rain on it at harvest time, and we're drying things down very unevenly and you throw snow into the mix going forward we could see substantial field losses i would say if you still got fences around a cornfield you'd be okay to turn some cattle loose this year they're they're probably going to get plenty fat in some of those areas back to my earlier question what's the next major usda report that you're looking for you know going forward we're going to continue to watch the crop progress and the harvest progress in in particular those are going to be weekly big potentially big movers in the markets the next major report i'm keeping an eye on is the november WASDE. want to see if the usda move upwards in national average corn yield continues i don't think it will, but I didn't think they'd uh, they'd do us so bad in August either. So That's a you, Friday report, as I recall. That next one, uh, I believe it is. November first, yes. first Friday of the month, I believe. First Friday, yes. And I don't remember the date offhand. I don't have my calendar on me, but yeah, coming up uh, in November. I think it's the eighth. Maybe I think you're right. That could be that could be a mover. And again, it's it's all up in the air right now. But USDA, once we get through November, December's probably not going to be as important, though. Given how late harvest could be, maybe it'll matter this year. We'll know as we get a little closer. But then, obviously, that January final number is is going to be the the big one that the market is going to start to focus on here as we roll through the rest of this fall and into early winter. Mike Pearson, good to have you here. Nice to visit with you. Thank you so much, Max. Always a pleasure. Zaner Financial Services in Chicago. That's correct. In agricultural news, another explosion in a meat facility in Dodge City, Kansas. Cargill stopped receiving cattle for slaughter at that plant after an explosion on Thursday. However, it expects to resume early next week. That according to a company spokesman. You probably recall a fire in August at a Tyson Food slaughterhouse in Holcomb, Kansas, with similar processing capacities, and it depressed cattle prices and futures while it boosts beef prices at the marketplace, sending margins for the U.S. beef industry to a record high. Now Tyson is rebuilding that plant. But at the plant that was impacted yesterday, the company continues to process carcasses it had on hand at the time of the explosion, which occurred in a standalone building outside the main facility, and it injured two workers but they'll be accepting cattle, so hopefully it won't have the economic uh, attack that the last uh, explosion had. Uh, Ted McKinney has been traveling in Vietnam. He is the undersecretary for the Department of Agriculture, and reporting from his trip there, he said African swine fever in Vietnam has killed off about 20% a Vietnam's hog herd, and it's not clear whether the outbreak has been contained. Vietnam government officials said this week the spread of the disease has shown signs of slowing, but uh, Ted McKinney said it's tough to say whether African swine fever is contained, but he did point to one positive sign 
The chief executive of a large Vietnamese feed company told him the spread of swine fever does not seem to have accelerated in the country. And in another uh, foreign market note, Brazilian soybean farmers managed to erase a plantings delay that was being reported since the start of the planting season. Sharply uh, increasing planting from the previous week this past week, and according to a report from the Mercosul Agency, farmers have now planted 22.8% of the expected soybean area in Brazil, and that's compared to a five-year average of 22.7%. But a week ago, planting pace was only 9.5% of the area, and that raised concerns for the soybean crop in Brazil. So let's take a look at uh, the market prices as we end this trading week. First of all, in the grain market at the Chicago Board of Trade, December wheat ended the day and the week up five cents at 5.32 and a quarter. But December corn at $3.91 a bushel, down four and a quarter cents for the day. November soybeans up two and a quarter cents, and it ended the trading session today at $9.34 a bushel. But when we go to livestock futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the screen is all red. February lean hogs down two cents a hundredweight at 77.47. The October live cattle contract down a dollar eighty cents, ending the week at one hundred ten dollars forty-seven cents. And the October feeder cattle contract down sixty cents for the day. It'll start trading Monday at one hundred and forty-three dollars fifty cents a hundredweight. Well, the same thing that happens to us every week has just happened. We're out of time. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson saying thank you for joining us on The Markets.